You're listening to Creative Capes by Future London Academy. Honest conversations with designers, entrepreneurs and innovators. Sit back, relax and enjoy. and hello dear futurist creative thinkers and amazing creative people around the world i'm ekaterina co-founder of future london academy and i'm so excited to be here today because it is a special episode of our creative capes podcast we decided to spice up the format a little bit and today's special edition is called design hotline and the whole idea of this episode is that we will be helping our design community with their challenges problems questions everything else that is on their mind and to help with this issue and challenge and big big goal of ours I have two amazing guests today Sam and Mike from Read the Waters. Welcome Sam and Mike. Hi there, great to be here. Amazing. So uh, for those of you who don't know what Read the Waters are and never heard of them, they are a London-based studio that does all sorts of writing um, for brands and companies around the world think copywriting, tone of voice, naming, everything to do with words. They describe themselves as a world's brightest words. Um, and uh, they can talk a bit more about why it's brightest and what do words mean to them. But this means that today's topic is all about brand language, writing, the power of words, everything to do with tone of voice and difficult things that we all experience when we try to write something from a social media post to an email to a massive campaign that is going global. So I'm excited to ask questions. We also play some games and there will be people calling in to our studio today who have their questions. So this is super, super exciting. But I would love to start with actually explaining a bit more what is brand language. So Mike or Sam, who would like to explain what is this topic of brand language and brand writing? What does it all mean? Uh, I'll jump in. It'll probably take both of us. But um, I think brand language is a term that we tend to use uh, rather than, for example, copywriting or tone of voice, because those things um, tend to be parts of the puzzle rather than the whole thing. So uh, when people hear copywriting, for example, they tend to think of the very practical business of writing you know, sentences and um, the craft of writing, which is critical, but not the whole thing. And equally, um, Tone of voice, which is a very popular phrase to describe how a brand speaks to its audience. Tone, we see as half of that story. So tone is about the sort of character of your voice, how you sound, um, the, the personality that's coming across. But the other half of the story is obviously what you're saying, the, the content, content of your messaging. So um, all of these things add up to the language of a brand or brand language if that makes sense. And yeah, just to add to that, Mike, um, I, I think the reason why it, it matters and why really an agency like ours can exist is that brands now use language in more ways than they ever have done before. So it, it requires more thought. You think 50 years ago, brands had ads and direct mail and packaging, and that was kind of it. And now we all have so many different channels that we need to think about and so many different moments where language can stand out or it can go wrong. Um, so really, I think brands are having to work harder and think harder about their language than ever before, which is really where an agency like ours comes in and, and, and where a course like building a brand language comes in. 
I totally agree with the problem of writing for so many channels is an issue for lots of companies, including ours. I think we write on social media. We have kind of all sorts of copy and content. So uh, what would you say are the main mistakes that brands do when writing or with, when working with language? Oh, that's a very big question. <laughs> um, I mean, one of the one of the uh, big jobs that we have working with a brand is to make sure that their voice is consistent across everything they do. And that's uh, often where brands fall down for all sorts of reasons. Um, partly because consistency itself is very difficult to both define and implement. So by consistent, we don't want to get um, you know every single person in a brand writing and speaking in a kind of robotically identical way but at the same time their language ideally would all reflect the same central personality and um, messaging of that brand so how you balance those two things is really tricky and give people enough freedom um, but still give them the guardrails they need to um, to have that consistency um, and also the, the business of implementing that how do you um, beyond kind of professional copywriters, essentially, how does everybody else in the organization, which is obviously a far greater number of people, how do they uh, develop the tools and uh, the understanding and um, the confidence to uh, get that voice across in the right way? Because, you know, as uh, as marvelous as the team at ReadWords is, we, uh, we work with big companies, we can't write every single thing that a brand puts out. So, um, helping them to develop the tools and the understanding they need to do it on their own is a really key part of the job. And often um, that consistency is lacking. And that's often where we're brought in um, because a brand has realized that, for example, their advertising doesn't sound anything like their website. Or, you know, if you get in touch with them, uh, with their customer service team, suddenly it feels like you're talking to a different brand, usually quite a, a more mechanical or kind of um, old fashioned or cold voice than what they're hearing in the more high profile bits of the brand. So um, I think that's a very big mistake that a lot of brands are making. And, and just to add to that, I think one of the other things that brands struggle with is that language, language is a really slippery thing. It's really hard to, to manage. And when I think of the way that say a visual identity works is that, you know, once you've kind of figured out your new visual identity and, and the, the new look and feel and you've got your, your Pantone colors and you've got your logo and the exclusion zone and you've got all those elements, it, it, it kind of then more, it, it's kind of easier to see when, when you've gone off brand, when the colors aren't right. I think language is much harder because we all have slightly different interpretations of what a word like human means or bold means. So it, it kind of requires a lot, well, I think it requires a lot more kind of internal discussion and agonizing about is this the right sort of language for us i think yeah it's it's it's, it's hard work um and i think that's something that brands sometimes um sometimes struggle with oh that's very interesting that you mentioned kind of the the comparison with visual identity because i can totally agree that there is so much emphasis right now on brand guidelines identity design systems whatever helps creative teams or marketing teams or companies in general maintain the consistency of visual language and how the brand is represented across, again, social media, website, app, outdoors, whatever the company is doing, while language kind of is not even seen as part of this system, while the way 
brands communicate with people is not just through visual. There is now uh, all sorts of voice assistants, chatbots, um, again, places where you don't even see any visual identity. So you have to represent the same values, the same kind of spirit through the power of words. And if that hasn't been written in any sort of way that people can understand, then it is a tricky job to to write like a Nike or write like an Apple if no one told you what this exactly means. Absolutely, I think that that's a really big problem. Um, and you know, I mean, it, it, I think it's it's changing slightly, but it, it's it's still pretty common to uh, pick up a, a brand guidelines document or a, a design system, and you know, a, a lot of love and craft and care will have gone into the visuals, and then language may have a paragraph or a page or kind of three words to sum it up. Um, that, that doesn't really give writers within an organization and a brand enough to go on. So you're right, if you're if you're writing for Nike and you don't really know what Nike is meant to sound like, then you'll you'll probably just fall back on what you think is best, which, you know, if you're if you're a kind of a talented writer, that might be great. If if you're not so confident with it, you may fall back on, you know, a slightly colder, more formal voice or, or the way that you you were taught to write at school or university. So yeah, I think there's a there's a big job to be done to kind of help brands make the most of their language. Well, talking about language, I have a game for you, and uh, <laughs> this will be a fun game. Will you have to guess comp- which company is talking? And I'll give you options, so don't worry. And um, I know it's a hard job, and we just talked about how brands actually are not taking care of their language. So without any visual, without any other cues to actually guess which company it is, it's a hard job. So I'm not expecting to guess it 100%. But as an experiment, uh, let's try it. So, shall we go? Are you ready? Yeah. Yes, please. Okay, Okay, the first piece. Looking to get ahead, we have expert guidance, timely resources, and inspiring stories from entrepreneurs who've been in your shoes. Business growing shoes. Okay, so this is the piece. Mm. And mm-hmm. does this belong to A, Bloomberg, B, Forbes, C, MailChimp? <laughs> Shall I read it uh, out again? Yeah. Could you read that one more time? Looking to get ahead, we have expert guidance, timely resources, and inspiring stories from entrepreneurs who've been in your shoes, business growing shoes. Oh, that's really well, I wasn't sure until you said the third one, so I think it's MailChimp. Yeah, I think business growing shoes is right. a nice little flourish that I, I don't think the first two, I don't think that's quite in their wheelhouse. And this is the correct answer. <laughs> well done, well done. <laughs> um, you're right. I think the last last piece definitely kind of uh, identified. I, I wouldn't expect Bloomberg saying that. I mean, if right. they did, I would be very surprised. Uh, yeah. But it's interesting. Okay, it's get, it gets harder. <laughs> Be prepared. Um, have a question? Ask everyone. Our support community can help you find answers. Okay. Okay. And is this Dell? Is this Apple? Or is this IBM? Yeah, that is trickier. Yeah. Okay. Read it, read it out again. Yes, please. Have a question. Ask everyone. Our support community can help you find answers. I think it's Apple. Yeah, uh, Dell and I kind of... feel a little bit more corporate to me. Yeah, 
I mean, it may be that I've seen this page and that's what's reminding me, but um, <laughs> uh, ask everyone and the kind of very short, clean sentences feel appley to me. So I'll plump for that. And this is correct answer. Woohoo! Two out of two. Well done, well done. <laughs> <laughs> I have the last piece for it. And and you're right. I think that I like how you highlighted the, the sentence structure, the fact that they're short. I think that's very much the, the spirit of Apple, everything very simple, everything right. very short, every clean kind of visual style is very clean. The products are very kind of intuitive and short and easy to use and the copy is easy to read. I think that makes sense. And I, I, I put Dell in there because actually, I think Dell is the trickiest in terms of brands because no one knows what Dell might sound like. It's, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. It's, it's a good um, discussion in design community that there are brands that kind of have to, like like Apple, they, they already got it. There are brands like Microsoft that are constantly kind of battling. And there are brands like Dell who, no one has a clue what's, right. what's going on there and they have to always like try to do something but it's, it's still still not there <laughs> no, that's um, a good point just um on apple i think it's really interesting and they come up a lot as you can imagine in workshops and so forth um and as well i think why they're so interesting is that they can do it the really short simple sentences but a, a sentence like ask everyone has that extra little bit of charm and um interest in it which is very apple you know it could just say I don't know, ask the community or ask other people. But some somehow there's a kind of friendliness and a little touch of warmth in Ask Everyone that it sort of counteracts that very pure simplicity um, in Apple. And that's the balance that when they get it right is very distinctive, I think. Yeah, I think they, they, they put a lot of care into those little flourishes. And it, you know, it feels a little bit like the way that they treat um, the TV ads in the UK, where the, the, the logo, depending on what the campaign is, has a little kind of flourish or the logo will animate in a different way. It feels like they, they're always looking for those little moments where they can slightly raise the game and it, it moves beyond just, as Mike said, kind of simple, nice, clean writing. Great. Okay, we have one left. One left. Okay. Uh, okay, this is a copy uh, that goes next to a map. Okay. <laughs> You're close, or maybe not so close, but at least you know there will be a perfectly a perf perfectly made latte waiting for you when you arrive. Enjoy. Mm. And is this a Google map, an Apple map, or an Oatly map? Is <laughs> <laughs> um, the latte a clue? That's what I'm Yeah, that feels like maybe a giveaway. Kind of got it away, but I, I I couldn't actually take it out. So, but I <laughs> no, feel no, like even couldn't. without it, um, I loved how they described like you're close or maybe not so close, and I'm right. like probably Google wouldn't say no. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think Oatly do a really nice job of that slightly spiky kind of unexpected voice. I mean, their their ad campaigns are very much like that. So yeah, that feels right for them. Amazing. Well, well done. You got three out of three. This is That's amazing. A, uh, Good job. Huge relief. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay. Uh, so I think this is time to bring our first guest into this conversation. And um, so um, our guests prepared a special question, a challenge that they are facing, and uh, they are ready to ask it. So let me okay. get Christine on the call. Hello, Christine. Hello. Hi. 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 How are you doing, nice. Christine? Thank you. I'm good. How are you? Nice to see you all. 
Yeah, good yeah, good me. to have you. Um, do you want to introduce yourself, Christine? Who you are, where you are, what do you do? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Christina. I'm uh, based in Sweden and I'm a uh, founder of a concept and design agency in, uh, in Stockholm. So uh, we started out in August and uh, currently we have a core team of four people. And then we add on a lot of different competences and unique talents when we are doing different projects, um, depending on a customer and, uh, and the projects we are working on. So, so we're working pretty much in collaborations, but it's, um, it's a fun way of connecting and really focusing our efforts a bit more than just having everyone on our same page, so to speak. Amazing. So, Christine, you have a question. Would you like to ask it? Yes, I would. Um, I'm thinking from this uh, whole perspective of, uh, of brands, I've been working with a lot of different uh, brands during the last decade. And I've seen kind of examples of brands having these clear global communication voices and, and really pushing out that throughout the, uh, the sort of the, the global uh, setup. But then when you come down to the local team, uh, it's not of, always that coherent so that it, it kind of gets a bit confused with the global overall and, and the local communication. Uh, and I think that as a consumer, you get a bit confused in that sense when you see that uh, this is the, the big voice of a global brand and then you're interacting with them locally and it's a, a completely different message. Uh, I think that also a lot of people have been talking about this omni-channel perspective and a seamless transition between online and offline. But that kind of feels, to me at least, a bit limited in terms of creating that engaging and inspiring brand. Uh, so when I'm looking at how this is affecting our way of connecting and getting engaged, the channel doesn't feel that important to me. It's more about how you can create that coherent voice uh, using uh, visual, verbal, sounds, uh, smells, whatever you can do to sort of get this brand and experience all the way through. Uh, and also, of course, the people working on the brand, super important that they are also part of it. So for the last 12, 14 months, I've been working on this uh, amazing project where we've been kind of taking on all aspects. Uh, it's a, it's kind of a startup project. So all the business perspectives and the brands and the service offer and everything is, is coming together in this mix match of things going on at the same, same time. Um, and it makes it, of course, very complex. And you need to be sort of very agile and dynamic and do all these things to, from the day-to-day -day business because everything is changing. Um, and I think that what we experience a bit is that the challenge that when we are moving through these different phases, it's hard to have that coherent voice. It's hard to, as decisions shifts, changes, directions, developments, and everything all at once, how to kind of have both the people working on the brand and also the experience on the brand since we're also having it out on the market somehow coherent. So this is my question then after this long introduction. Uh, when we're working on these kind of startup projects, what would be your best advice to try to secure and engage and establish and also to keep this strong and clear brand voice throughout the different phases? That's a very good question, a very big one. Uh, we've just been talking a little bit about that consistency and coherence that I think you're talking about. Um, so I'll start off, but uh, I think, I don't know what the uh, startup's like that you're working with, but uh, often that's actually quite an advantage because when you're dealing with a startup, you tend to be dealing with a smaller team um, and you know, getting both buy-in and the sign-off on the voice 
is relatively easier compared to working, for example, with a big global company with, as you say, lots of different offices and so forth. Um, and that's really a key point because we think that um, your brand language, your voice is not something that's just a nice thing that happens in the advertising or whatever. It should be running through, as you say, that you know every aspect of what that brand's doing, which means it needs to be uh, championed from the top, really. You, you want uh, the founder or the CEO or the person or people in the leadership team to really get behind it and um, make it part of the culture, essentially, um, which is not an easy thing to do, obviously. Um, but if you can get that kind of uh, champion championing of the voice from the leadership then you've got a much better chance of it filtering down through the organization and being taken up and taken seriously uh, throughout because uh, we certainly find as we've just been talking to with katarina you know some brands just don't get how serious language is still um and obviously people within an organization have got their own jobs to do they've got lots of other things to worry about it, you know how i write might not seem that big a deal to them so there's often an educational job to like this really matters and, and you often have to have you know literally you know workshop sessions where you'll present um examples of you know brand language going right and wrong and and when you start to do that people really click and they get it um but unless you do that unless you sort of wake people up if you like to how how much of an impact their their language is having it's very difficult to then get them to um to work on it and to focus on it. And beyond that, of course, you have to start giving them the tools to actually put that into action as well. I also feel a bit like a lot of people that are involved in these kind of projects also, it, they aren't that into it until it kind of comes to their part of the table. <laughs> and all of this sudden it feels super important because, oh, now I'm affected by this. So I need to get on the bandwagon as well. And then you kind of haven't been part of it on right. the journey there. Yeah. That's really true. Uh, it just makes me think that a lot of the time, the thing that we hear about a lot or clients talk about a lot is social media, Twitter, essentially, or sometimes Instagram. And I think that's partly because what you're talking about, you know, when you look at Twitter, you're basically looking at words. Um, so it becomes super important and people are very worried about how they sound in a way that they're not in other spheres. Um, so, you know, we'll often hear, well, how do we, how should we be talking on Twitter? And like, I think you should be thinking about how you talk generally you know, everywhere. Um, and it becomes a, you know, way too specific, uh, which I think is exactly what you're talking about. The kind of the focus happens only when it's on your desk. And otherwise it gets forgotten, which is why you need to have it led from the top, obviously. Sorry, Sam. No, no, I was going to say, I think that's why when you're kind of starting to think about language and starting to build your voice, it, it's really important to have different representatives in the room or, or, or part of the process, even if they, they only kind of um, dip in and out, because, you know, the, the worst thing is that you kind of create a voice and then you discover that it doesn't work or your legal team or your recruitment team or sales team or whoever it may be. So sort of the, the, the kind of the beginning process should be figuring out all the different jobs that your voice has to do, all the different audiences, the problems, you know, responding to customer complaints versus talking on Twitter. So. Yeah, I think that, that sometimes it, it can feel like a voice is, you know, it's just sort of something that, that, that the branding and marketing team think about. Um, mm. I think it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of beneficial if you can extend that out at the beginning. Mm. It uh, makes perfect sense. And I think there's also a thing that can be a challenge, at least for us in, in Sweden, we, we often work in multicultural teams which means that we are talking in English during meetings and, and sort of when we are doing the work. 
and then it's going to translate into Swedish when it hits the market. Right. And that also brings a bit of a twist to it. Yeah, that's <laughs> tricky, definitely. Um, I don't know how you, you're handling that. Do you have translators or transcreative people involved? Yeah, we do. And we do a little bit of both. Uh, but I can absolutely say that it's uh, it's one of the things that you, you can really feel in some of the meetings that you, you can have an idea of this tonality that you are trying to get across. And then it also end up being in risk of being a marketing PR kind of thing because that's where you're using that language and in mm. all other sense of the brand you're talking in a different language altogether right. um, but yeah you need to work with the, with copywriters that really kind of understand both sides so that they can can feel the the English tonality but also have a very strong sense of of the local language so yeah that's how we have solved it for this project at least but yeah I actually, if I can add to that, because I worked on a project that was bilingual in Russian and English um, here in London, and it was quite interesting how we worked with brilliant copywriters in London who wrote some fantastic copy that was just witty and humorous and well constructed and that could not translate into Russian in any sort of way just because their sentence structure was different because some of the words do not exist in Russian so before what the company was doing they were hiring translators and copywriters who would then try to like basically cre recreate this in Russian while what we realized after working on this project for a bit that it doesn't even make sense to create any copy in English without the Russian copywriters being involved in the beginning. And when the British copywriters coming up with like this wonderful short slogan, then the kind of sense checking, would that translate? Do you think there is some sort of meaning? Is there any bad meaning when we say it in that way? So again, having the bilingual people from the beginning actually avoids a lot of trouble at the end of the project. That's from my personal experience. Yeah, definitely. That, that, that's actually something we hear occasionally from clients or prospective clients who are, you know, are slightly worried that because we're predominantly British copywriters that we're going to write in a sort of British style. I think a good copywriter should be able to kind of rein that in because you're right, sort of witticisms and wordplay and the kind of very kind of British puns are, are not going to work for most brands. So um, yeah, I think that's a really important skill that a copywriter has to have is to, to imagine how is this going to work for audiences that I might not have a kind of great cultural understanding of. But how important is that cultural understanding, would you say, uh, when you're working with different... Uh, so you're based in, uh, in the UK and how, how much is that affecting when you're working with global customers? It varies, to be honest with you. Um, so there are some clients who have a very specific need to take the language that we create here in London into other um, other territories and markets and languages and cultures. So I'm thinking particularly of Heinz, for example, who we worked with mm. uh, the last couple of years uh, on their master brand tone of voice. So not not any particular product, but Heinz itself. Um, and as you can imagine, they need to they need that voice to work in very many different um, countries around the world. So we work closely with the trans creation agency in that case um, and um, they were able to take take what we did and give it the right 
cultural resonances and associations and all of that within their cultures. But a, an important part of being able to do that is for us as SAMHSA to know from the start that's what we're doing, so that we can write the English with that in mind and not yeah. not fall into you know very idiomatic English things that, as Katarina says, are just not going to translate or you know things like that. So we a lot of the time that means keeping it a bit more simple, but um, but that's not a bad thing. You know, that doesn't mean you're losing character, which I think some people worry about. Uh, it just means being responsive to you, what the needs are that you know of that project. I, I always think that one of the, the absolute essential skills of any good writer is listening. You know, mm. it, it's no good just to come and say, we need to do it like this. You have to start by asking and listening to what people actually need and how a voice is going to have to work and who's going to need to use it and all of those questions. And obviously, languages and cultures are an important part of that when you're dealing with a global brand so listen hard at the beginning and then make sure that what we do is going to work in all of those different ways mm. i have one more question um when you're working with because i've worked quite a lot with uh, a brand called lenovo mm -hmm. who has kind of a they have this big uh, big brand and then they have a lot of sub brands uh, and for some some years they they didn't really connect them so the Lenovo brand was one brand and then they had all the other kind of sub brands, but they didn't really connect them, which felt a bit disconnecting in terms of also the brand voice. So when they were launching a new product, for instance, trying to get that to match the overall message of the brand and so on and so forth was a bit of a challenge. But when they kind of connected and said, okay, there's one Lenovo on top and then you have all the different underneath then you had the opportunity to actually create a story that went on beyond just one product launch or one specific campaign. Um, how do you, what's your experience on those projects when you have? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of any specifics, I can't immediately, but um, I think again, it's about the specifics of the project. So it was the famous distinction between a house of brands or a branded house. And, um, you know, so some companies have very distinct brands within their um, architecture that have mm -hmm. their own voices, their own messaging. And as you know, Unilever and Procter & Gable are the classic examples, you know, where their product brands are, are doing their own thing. A lot of consumers won't even know who their kind of background, the Lenovo version is. Mm -hmm. um, so again, I think that's about understanding the brand you're writing for and, um, you know, not doing things that you shouldn't be doing. Um, if it's a branded house and everything is called, you know, uh, one name or a version of one name, and it's very clearly branded with that larger brand, and I think you're right. You've got a really lovely opportunity there to make all of those um, sub brands into parts of the same story, and you need to make sure that you know the same core messages and core personality are coming through in all of those different places. And a lot of that is about, I think, simplifying. You're trying to make the, the core of it as simple as possible. Often these things get so complicated that it's not surprising people are getting lost when they have to write, you know, uh, I don't know, an email campaign for one of the product brands. And they're looking <laughs> at a set of guidelines which has, you know, six archetypes and seven schematic territories or, you know, all sorts of things. Yeah. We, we are always telling clients to kind of pair it back and, you know, let's, let's make this simpler. Let's have, you know, a few words, a few big ideas that are translatable and not, you know, not feel like you're trying to solve some sort of Rubik's cube of messaging every time <laughs> and pick up a brief. Yeah, I, I think that's, we actually, we worked um, 
with Merlin Entertainments a couple of years ago, who kind of that's um, a good example. Yeah, they they have Sea Life and Madden Two Swords and Shrek's Adventure in in London, and 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 each of those sort of sub brands absolutely deserve their own voice. They have their different experiences, they have different personalities. So I think the question is, does the sub brand need its own approach to language? I think most of the time, as Mike said, it's just simpler from a kind of management point of view, just to to kind of think about what's the voice for the entire brand, the entire organisation, rather than. I mean, you, you, we often see voice guidelines where yeah, you have a kind of a, a, an appendix for, for different sub-brands and different audiences and different channels. And I think it's, it's kind of overwhelming for a copywriter or, or, or any writer coming to that. So the fewer the elements, the simpler you can make it, the better. If a brand really deserves or a sub-brand really deserves its own thing, then, then absolutely. But most of the time, I think, yeah, we would kind of err on the simpler is better. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Christine, for your amazing questions. And uh, it's such an interesting conversation kind of about the different territories and uh, different brands as well as different languages. I feel like that could be its own podcast, how to communicate, how brands should communicate across the world. Uh, so thanks for bringing that topic up. Uh, we'll let you go now to your busy day. Thank you so much for joining. Um, and we will continue with Sam and Mike with another game on uh, the way. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good one. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, and we're back to three of us, and I have the next game prepared, and this is a tough okay. one, so be prepared. <laughs> so the rules of the game, we talked about the, the brand language and brand voice and tone of voice and all of these very important things and how brands should communicate depending on what they stand for and what they represent. And actually part of the course that you are, uh, you created at Future London Academy is all about finding that persona that kind of you might think would be talking for, for your brand, whether it is in kind of, uh, I don't know, a, a Trump persona, or probably not, but <laughs> a, a kind of some, some person that you can associate um, your brand with. So, I decided to play a game based on uh, this interesting observation and uh, I have a pile of papers that have personas in them. So famous celebrities uh, that uh, kind of have very distinct tone of voice. And I have a separate pile with products and services that these celebrities might have or might not never create. And uh, your task will be to come up with a strap line for this particular product. Could be as oh short goodness. or as long as you want. So, um, I don't know, if I pick Steve Jobs and I pick, uh, I don't know, a, a, a plant service, I don't know, oh, yogurt. Uh, if Steve Jobs created a yogurt, <laughs> what would be the strap line for Steve Jobs' yogurt? Um, <laughs> and uh, so I have lots of, lots of those and uh, I'll close my eyes and mix the two, so we'll be very random. And uh, of course, we know that copywriting is not done on the spot. It actually takes a very long time. So not expecting the best strap lines in the world, but let's have a bit of That's fun good. and experiment. That's good. Sure. Okay. Uh, let me pick the person. So person, I have people on, actually, um, people here. Okay. Okay. Close my eyes, close my eyes. Uh, we've got Kensington Palace. Oh, okay. As a pers as a as a personality, and I suppose it stands for royal and I don't know uh, heritage and kind of all sorts of things very British. Mm -hmm. And uh, what do they? What service are they having? So what product are they launching? So they are launching. 
cleaning service. So Kensington hmm. Palace is launching a new cleaning service. Uh, what would, would be their strapline for Kensington Palace cleaning service? Um, maybe cleaning fit for queens. Um, yeah. Nice. Make every house a palace. Oh, yeah. You go straight to the puns at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a home fit for a queen or fit for a king. So that feels obvious possibility. Yeah. Nice. I like the idea of a palace. I think that's a, that's a good one. Yeah. Give your home oh. the royal treatment. <laughs> nice. Okay, great ideas. We're going to move into the next one. Okay. Uh, and it's Oprah, Oprah Winfrey. Okay. Is the personality. And she's launching... She's launching a furniture service. Furniture service. Or rather, furniture brand. Uh, maybe right. a chair and a chair. Yeah, a chair would be good for Oprah, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, blimey. And I, I'll, I suppose I'll start the conversation. Oprah stands for, I suppose, empathy and being relatable and uh, listening. It, at least yeah. that's what she stands for in my uh, head. Yeah, and she's, she's kind of, she's got a really unique voice. It's that kind of inspiring, but also very down to earth, tricky one. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe something like, if, if she was selling chairs, it could be like chairs to get you talking or. Um, take a seat with Oprah. Yeah, that's nice. Um, oh, blimey. I've gone completely blank on this one. It's a tough brief. <laughs> uh, the Winfrey name sort of, there must be a win something. In yeah. There, you know? you'll, yeah. You'll always win with a Winfrey. Show my ears That's a kind of 1950s slogan. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, this is the point where we say to the client, leave that with us. Leave that and, with us. We'll come, uh, we'll back, come to back to you in a, in a week. Okay. <laughs> uh, I have the last one. Let, let's, I think oh, we, another one. Okay. La last, last one and we can <laughs> stop this torture. Okay. Uh, let me pick the last one. And we've got Elon Musk. Okay. And what does Elon Musk produce? He now produces cakes. Yes. <laughs> Elon Musk yeah. cakes. Yeah, to be honest, he produced nice. so many weird things in the past year, from flamethrowers to I think was it swimsuits? I forgot. There was there were right. some random objects, there and uh, I suppose Elon Musk stands for kind of innovation and progress, a bit obnoxious character. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he's got a he's got a, a kind of spiky voice. I'm thinking of lots of words like transformed or reinvented. Right. Um, um, it's funny one this because Tesla, which is obviously the most famous Elon Musk brand, doesn't really have a tone of voice. They don't, they don't do any advertising famously, and if you look at their website, there's language is very minimal, so it's hard to get a handle on it quite. Um, I, I just keep going for puns again. <laughs> uh, the Musk have cakes. <laughs> um, uh, nice one. Oh, great. 
But I think Sam's right. It would feel like it should be a kind of some big claim. Like, yeah. Cakes to change the world. Or, cakes to change the world, yeah. exactly. Ooh, that's a good one. I think I'll definitely make the cake stand out. <laughs> yeah, you think? Okay. Yeah, I think sold. Uh, approved, yeah. The client, that's the new strap line. Well, we'll find out. Elon Musk decide to produce cakes, actually. That's a, some interesting things to do, I suppose. I think his flamethrowers were like well, thousands of dollars each. Yeah, presumably. Uh, so the cakes probably will be in the same price range. Yeah. Um, and definitely right. they will ch change the world. Exactly. He knows, he knows how to call. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much for going through this uh, oh. tough, tough exercise. <laughs> I hope your brains don't hurt. Uh, I, I know it's very difficult to think on the spot, especially um, on so many random subjects without think, any preparation whatsoever. So I think, I I, I think our, our, our brains are okay. The pride, maybe, has taken us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll you out. did really well. You did really well. <laughs> I have to say, I was trying to think of something in my head. I was just, there was silence. There was no <laughs> single thought. So you did much better than me. It's a, it's a good proof that this stuff takes time and, exactly. and therefore costs lots of money, which is very important. <laughs> that is very, very true. Okay, and we are ready for our next caller. And uh, let me get George on a call with us. Hey, George. Hi. <laughs> Amazing. How are you doing, George? Yeah, really good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, just a bit of background, like I'm a designer based in London and I've been uh, working in the industry for about three years, so it's quite early days for me. And I've worked in uh, in-house design teams for uh, in the arts or in design agencies and also in education. Um, and the question I'm bringing to you is all about authenticity, um, because I found in uh, branding and advertising it can be, it's a very familiar word that a lot of people use, um, but without the context, it's very abstract and hollow. Um, and basically, drawing from your own experiences, I want to ask you, do you have like a really good example of what is like authentic brand language and uh, what's a really bad example? <laughs> well, I think it's a really good question. You're right, people chuck that word around a lot and it's often hard to know exactly what they mean by authentic, I think. Uh, a lot of people f use it to mean a kind of something very grand and noble and so, yeah, we're truthful and you know, words like that. Um, I think I would take it usually to mean, you know, is this a voice that is genuine? Um, it's really about what is really reflecting what this brand is about. Um, I don't know if that's how you're meaning it exactly. Yeah, I guess. That's kind of, yeah, that's kind of it really. And uh, I guess one example, I think a very specific example in like social media of like uh, everyone's telling you to sort of be your authentic self, but uh, what does right. that really mean? Um, I don't know. Uh, so I guess uh, what's a way that, uh, I don't know, a company could really uh, tap into that um, without sounding uh, kind of inconsistent. Like they say one thing like on social media, but then I don't know, they're like terms and conditions or their website, it's uh, very much formal and like not the same tone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And it's, um, it's often really glaring when uh, something has gone wrong in the brand experience. Let's say you're making a customer complaint or um, maybe you're getting an email telling you that um, your delivery is going to be late and that the voice suddenly switches and it becomes much more cold, cold and corporate. I think that's, that's when people, audiences and customers 
that really annoys them because it feels like the curtain has been pulled back and all the kind of nice language that they saw up front on the homepage and on Twitter and in the ads, you realize, oh, actually, all that stuff was just kind of fluff and glitter. And actually, underneath the brand is you know, a big kind of cold corporate machine. And um, so I think that's where inauthenticity becomes a real problem because people spot that immediately. Um, so, yeah, the, 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 the brands that do the, the best job of this are the ones that really consider it across all of those different touch points. And they've kind of they, they invest the time to make sure that the customer services team is sounding exactly like the social team and like the ads. It's a really hard thing to do, but um, yeah, I think it's it's yeah essential. Uh, is there like a brand, not necessarily one you've worked with, but like uh, one that uh, really uh, sort of um, is a good example of that that really like uh, sh- uh, conveys that uh, to their audience? Yeah, I think um, I don't know if you know Typeform. They're a kind mm. of survey monkey type thing. I think they're, they're based in Barcelona. Yeah. Um, and they're cool. very kind of, I don't know how you describe that, but it's very kind of light and kind of energetic. Um, and you can kind of see that as soon as you land on their homepage and they have jokes and they have fun. Um, they also, though, translate that voice into the terms and conditions, uh, into like when you uh, sign in to the, the platform for the first time, um, the kind of sign in forms, the little ghost copy there is also light and, and fun. Um, yeah, I think I think they just really it just shows that they care about their language, which I think subtly tells you that they care about their product. I, I don't really use Typeform, I don't know how they work, I don't know whether that's true, but you just kind of get the sense that these are people that take care of everything they do. So yeah, I think they're a really nice example of making the most of all of these tiny little moments that that overall kind of create a really nice impression for a brand. So just quick note, I think you went a bit quiet if you can get closer to your mic so we can oh, hear sure. your insights a bit better. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Sam's absolutely right about that. And um, it's quite interesting for me. It's like, is that an example of an authentic voice or is it an example of a very well-managed voice? And is there a difference between those two things? You get into quite interesting territory there. Um, another one that I always think of is Virgin Atlantic, who um, been on their flights a few times and um, use their websites and things and their voice tends to be uh, pretty consistent and feels as well as being consistent it feels like the virgin I know and that kind of, it seems to connect with a sense that I have um, of what virgin is all about which obviously that's basically what brand is right is what the idea you have of it in your head um, and they do that I think for those two reasons, they've managed to work out what they're all about internally and that kind of core level. You've got a very clear sense of that. So before you even start to think about language, you have to have a really good, um, clear articulation of what it is that you're all about. And then um, to your point and what Sam was talking about, you know, make sure that that is coming through, not just on a big splashy billboard or a TV ad, but um, if you go on a Virgin Atlantic flight, for example, you pick up the menu and it says, hello, you at the beginning. Um, which is just a, it's got the right level of kind of cheek and you know slightly over friendly, but in kind of quite a nice way uh, that you expect from a new. And I, you know, I I wouldn't necessarily write that headline myself, but I, when I read it, I go, yes, that's right. That's that's the Virgin voice. I recognise it. So, and it makes me smile, you know, partly because they're getting it so right, and also because it's quite funny. Um, and uh, I remember going on the, their credit card site, so Virgin Atlantic credit card. Um, and you can kind of get all the information about the car, but then it also has a, a little login thing that says, already a customer, 
clever sausage come on in or something like that. I can't remember the exact words. But, you know, again, a bit cheeky, not what you expect in a credit card environment, but because it's Virgin Atlantic, that gives them the license to do it. And that becomes an authentic way of expressing that brand. So the more of those things happen, you know, the, the better I feel about that brand. Because I think, yeah, they're, they're entertaining me a bit, but also this, they clearly care about all this stuff and they're getting it right, even on very small details. And that is very reassuring, actually, in lots of ways. I feel like this is a company I can trust. Especially when they're flying you across the Atlantic, you need to know that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think Virgin is a really good example uh, because, like, they just have a history of that kind of tongue-in-cheek tone of voice. Right. Like, even to the point from their name, like Virgin, it just sort of means like very naive and like not sure what they're doing. Um, but uh, I guess people can approach that, like, because they feel like human in the real sense of it, and they've like sort of defined that for them. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, yeah, so another exactly. really good example of you know, something that was once upon a time basically one man, you know, Branson's, but um, mm. they've managed to take a lot of those values and carry them through for the very long time since through all their sub brands and so forth. Mm. Yeah, greater successes and lesser along the way, but uh, I think the, the airline is a very good uh, example of that. Yeah, and I think uh, just to add to that, I think people often, other brands often look at a brand like Virgin or, or innocently have a, a kind of nice, playful, cheeky voice and think, <clears throat> well, maybe we can kind of shortcut our way to that voice and start using it. If, if you don't have the kind of history and the, I don't know, the credibility to back it up, then I think that often turns customers off. Um, I don't know if you remember when, when Barclays renamed all their ATMs hole in the wall and it just, it, it just felt like a kind of a moment of over-friendliness and levity that Barclays, the big global bank, probably didn't didn't deserve, and they kind of turn people off. So, yeah, I think those those sorts of voices are often very desirable for brands, but unless you've got the, the kind of stuff to back it up, it, it it can backfire. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, those are really good examples, and I don't know if I have time for like one quick question, but mine's more about uh, obviously there's brand language, but mine's more sort of straight up writing and like writing skills. And in my current design role now, like I do a lot of writing, like. Uh, in like digital channels like social media and newsletters and uh, I kind of want to I'm kind of self-taught I want to kind of practice my writing skills um, and I do a lot of free writing to kind of break the sort of creative writing block and like anxiety of writing because I'm kind of a novice I was just wondering if you guys had like any like sort of general tips to like or exercises to improve your writing skills um, even if it's like building your vocabulary, so you don't like find yourself just going back to the thesaurus like online and just sort of, <laughs> yeah, getting stuck. <laughs> I should just say on that last point, we all refer to the thesaurus. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I think there's a, there's a perception that is somehow cheating. It really isn't. It's using the tools of the trade. So uh, I don't feel, don't feel any shame about that. Um, yeah, this is a really tricky one because I mean, basically, everyone except a professional writer is a novice writer, right? Yeah, and that's what we come up against all the time is people are being asked to do something that is, you know, actually quite hard. And uh, it's a sort of assumption that everyone can just jump in and do it. Um, free writing, I think, is a really good way, as you say, to get past a block, just to kind of write something else, anything else, and not worry about what it's going to be. That's mm -hmm. good. Um, one of the, the tips we often have in our guidelines is to read stuff aloud. Um, it's amazing what you hear in your ears that you don't see on the page. Um, so it feels a bit silly, but you know, if you read it out and see if it 
sounds to yourself like the brand you're trying to write for and, and of course if it makes sense at all you know often you read it out and think oh yeah that that sounds weird or that you know, just doesn't that doesn't make sense but, you know, and obviously reading it to somebody else if they're there and if you can bear it is um <laughs> that's a good one um Sam. yeah i mean i i, I think um I mean, it sounds like you're kind of doing this already, but stretching the different types of writing you do. So, you know, if you're doing lots of newsletters and social, a good way of kind of flexing your writing muscles and kind of coming up against different challenges is maybe just to take a totally different type of writing that you would never normally do and think about, okay, well, how do I bring the, the brand into this? What does this mean for my writing? If I'm, if I'm used to writing in kind of a Twitter voice, what does it mean when I'm apologizing to someone or I'm trying to explain something really complicated. I think often yeah, we all get like this as writers, we get kind of stuck in in a rut of doing the same sort of thing. And so I think just setting yourself different challenges will hopefully try and kind of break you out of that and, and yeah, stretch those muscles. Thank you so much, George, for, for your lovely questions. We'll, we'll let you go as well. Uh, but thanks for joining and uh, very, very important topic of authenticity and writing in general. I think I definitely struggle with, with writing. So thanks for bringing that up. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. Thanks, Have a great afternoon. Great to meet you, George. Bye. Okay, and we are back to three of us <laughs> to, to the last chapter of this conversation. And I think what George touched on was something that I actually wanted to ask you as well around authenticity and other words that we use when we refer to writing and uh, some of them are for example human or friendly or simple and uh, again every brand want or majority of brands i would say want to sound friendly and um, easy to read and all of these things and uh, the problem is i as a again i I was born in Russia, so I was taught how to write in Russian. I understand the language structures, the certain kind of flavor that different words can bring. And my vocabulary is mainly based on classic Russian literature, which is beautiful. So I understand that I'm lacking all this on one hand vocabulary, on the other hand, uh, the practice of different language structures and different principles I can use in writing to be friendlier or to be uh, more human or maybe to be more um uh, i don't know not strict but maybe it's more formal and more uh, clear and straightforward whatever that is so would, could you tell a bit more how would you approach a certain writing style or of when you're trying to convey something are there any particular things you would look at for example you would always check the length like the the length of the sentence the watch out for certain words, you would always... Are there any basically practical things that we can all look at when we are trying to do certain type of writing, whether it's friendly writing or maybe more straightforward writing, anything like that? Yeah, I think I know. I think I think there really are. And I think um, uh, if, if you think a, a lot of the kind of most successful brands right now, I'm thinking of people like Monzo and MailChimp, I think they've kind of perfected the art of that kind of friendly, clear, easy to understand writing. Um, and they're all kind of doing the same sorts of things. So first thing they do is they always talk in first person. So it's we, Monzo, are talking to you, the customer, rather than Monzo is delighted to inform its customers about its new offering, for example. So that that is, I think, probably the, the single quickest way of making yourself sound more human because, well, you are a human and you're writing to another human. Um, 
So that's kind of the first thing I would do. Um, and then, yeah, I think kind of sentence length, but I think wordy, big, long, wordy paragraphs, big blocks of text. That's that's kind of fine for your kind of first draft. But um, if you have time, kind of going back through and editing it and trying to make it as easy to read as possible, because, you know, it, increasingly we don't want to spend the time with big blocks of text and we want to kind of get through it as quickly as possible and, and kind of helping your reader do that just makes you feel like a you know more kind of considerate writer. Um, so, yeah, I think there are two things that I would do kind of almost immediately. Yeah, I go along with that. I think this is um, is often a meeting point of you know, what's just good writing and what is the brand. And um, actually, for most brands, just writing well takes them a long way um, and before you even start to think about what the distinctive particular personality of that brand is. Um, so second everything that Sam's saying, I think Obviously, once you know what sort of human you're trying to be, as you say, Catherine, are you being more formal or more friendly, or are you trying to be a version Atlantic type human? You know, all those things. That's obviously going to change the rules in big quote marks. Um, so, you know, but the kind of things to look at are things like sentence length and, you know, um, rhythm of the words, which is quite a subtle thing. I appreciate, but you know. Uh, a lot of people will say, oh, we're, we're a very kind of fast moving brand, so all our sentences be really short. Um, but of course, if they're all really short, you get this weird staccato kind of boring rhythm where everything's the same. Uh, and equally, if a luxury brand might say, oh, we need long flowing, beautiful sentences, which is great in you know, some of those examples, but then all you're reading are long flowing, beautiful sentences. And again, it feels um, tedious. So mixing up in some way is always helpful and um, keeping the kind of the core of it in, in one level, but making sure that you're mixing that pace up and keeping the reader's interest. That's sort of, you know, obviously a basic thing to, that any writing has to do is to keep the reader reading. Um, and if you stick with one rhythm, you're going to lose them because it just becomes boring to read. And do you do any sort of research when you're trying to convey certain tone of voice. Again, if I translate this to the branding world, if we decided to create a brand that is very royal and very luxurious and very like we would potentially create a mood board or find some references, what does it mean and what kind of things we can pick up on? Would it be gold or maybe something more subtle that constitutes being royal and being like mm. this kind of high class? Um, do you do the same with writing? Do you find different pieces of writing that constitute certain things when you create a piece? Um, well, either we find them or we create them ourselves just to kind of test out exactly what a word like royal means. Um, so you, you're absolutely right. You know, it, I think one of the problems when you when brands think about their languages, you know, big big kind of abstract concepts like human or royal or bold get thrown around without really thinking. Well, what does that exactly mean for? our brand of furniture or our brand of cakes um, so it's really kind of figuring that stuff out it, the best way to do that is just to start writing stuff and kind of testing a few different directions so then you can kind of present that to the client or present that to the rest of your team and say well is this the kind of royal we mean it's a bit cold and snooty or is it kind of the kate middleton royal which feels you know more accessible and warmer so yeah i think it's kind of really digging into those words and what exactly does that mean on the page and what does that mean for a social post versus you know an email or whatever um yeah i think that's that's the bit that is really useful for kind of everyone getting a shared understanding of what exactly is this voice going to be yeah and we have used other brands as well obviously for that you know in the luxury field for example you know people will say 
we need a really lovely luxury voice and we will present them you know here's Asprey talking or here's Bentley talking or here's I don't know a champagne brand or something you know and you quickly realize that there are very many nuances and sometimes quite big differences within what people think of as a very straightforward category so just showing them other examples obviously helps them um to say oh I, yeah i mean more like this or you know definitely not like that and it, and that's always the point at which you ask them why and then you start to learn really deep things about what their brand's all about um because they have often quite strong reactions and say oh we're definitely not that sort of voice and then finding out why they're definitely not that is a very good guide to what they should be um so i think you're right that kind of mood boardy of a, a, a verbal version of the mood board it can be very useful Love it. And I wanted to finish with a kind of last question on general, I suppose, future of brand voices and the trends in brand voices. Uh, what I personally see a lot happening in the industry, um, again, if we take a parallel with branding, all the logos are kind of going towards the same shapes and same forms and similar way the brand language, I have a feeling kind of is trying to become very similar, the whole friendly human, approachable, easy. That's what every tech startup, every company now tries to be, which again makes it, I suppose, less distinct because when you're the first one who is so approachable and human, then you're definitely very different. And now when everyone is the same, you probably kind of be distinguished. And again, in examples today, uh, because everyone tried to, to be so human, it's sometimes difficult to say, is it MailChimp human or is it like type right. of human? Um, so what, uh, first of all, what, what do, is there like an opposite trend that maybe I'm not seeing that you also see is very interesting and maybe a, a way for brands to think about their language that is not just pure friendly and human? And I suppose, are there any ways to differentiate yourself in that friendly human area? Um, <laughs> a big question. Um, I think um, I, I think I think you're right that, that lots of brands are kind of converging all around this, you know, clean, accessible, easy to read voice, and, and predominantly that that tends to be, I don't know, fintech brands or, or brands that you know are offering relatively complicated processes where where they have to explain things clearly and that they need the the, the user and the reader to to go from point A to B and they can't afford for them to get lost and so that that kind of almost demands really kind of clean and simple language. So yeah, I think that's probably true and probably not going to change anytime soon. But um, I think equally the, the, the smarter brands will figure out even where we do have to make things as really clear as possible and where the shopping experience needs to be seamless and easy, where, can, where are those moments where, that we can add our voice without kind of disrupting or getting in the way? Um, so a very quick plug, but we worked with uh, Penhaligons, the, the British perfume brand, and that voice is very kind of flowery and full of flourishes. And, and, and when you translate that into the website, it needs to work as a website, it needs to be clear and easy to use, but we're also looking for moments where we can bring in and retain that voice. So yeah, I think it's, it's probably going to get harder, but um, yeah, but the brands that, that, that do it well, I think will continue to stand out. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and I think people sometimes worry a little bit too much about, you know, can I, can how do we make our voice distinctive? Um, because you know, that's just not possible for every brand to have a purely you know, a voice that's so distinctive you can't um, you can't not recognise it. That's not really the point a lot of the time. Penhaligons is a really good example of a voice that I think is that level of distinctive, and it's great because the opportunity was there. But um, 
just writing it in to go back to what we were talking about writing in an authentic way that is true to the brand and that is consistent and coherent across the piece takes you a very long way and that helps to build the relationship you have with your audiences and and all of that um, and of course you've got all the other assets in your brand uh, as well with the you know, logos and colors and so forth to make you distinctive in other ways um, so you know I think worry less about oh how can we not sound like everybody else and make sure think more about how can we sound like ourselves all the time that is a brilliant advice i feel like i could be put in a quote and put on a wall <laughs> <laughs> don't be don't try to stand out but be yourself um wonderful wonderful way to finish our conversation thank you so much both of you for sharing your wisdom and knowledge and for everyone who is listening and want to to hear more wisdom and knowledge from mike and sam uh, i'm sure you've already seen that we have building a brand language course on our website which mike and sam created carefully for you so you can actually use those practices and there are much more practical advice and frameworks and templates how to build your own brand language how to create naming and now we didn't even touch on the naming today but <laughs> that's a pain that i had for a very long time in my life on how to name new things whether it's a new sub brand or new project a new initiative or you're creating a new company it becomes a massive massive mess and i loved how you approach naming workshops and naming uh, projects in a very strategic way. So everyone who wants to know more about writing uh, for a brand like a human, <laughs> please do check out the course. And um, everyone who wants to hear more of these conversations, we also have our YouTube and podcast. Uh, please sign up to our YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe, subscribe and press all these wonderful buttons that technology has, as well as Creative Capes podcast. Do subscribe for new episodes. Okay, I've done with my long ending. Uh, <laughs> Sam and Mike, any last words from you? <laughs> Oh, golly, no, well, only thank you very much. Um, it's been really interesting, really lovely uh, to talk to you and your guests and to have this opportunity. So thank you for that. Um, it's been great. Thank, thanks, both of you. I learned a lot for sure. So I hope everyone who has been listening also had time to reflect on their language and their brand voice and actually not just the brand voice in general how we all write emails and communicate to each other what are we trying to say and how clearly and friendly and humanly are we saying this i feel like we can all improve on our written communication so thank you for sharing all your advice and thanks everyone for tuning in and listening great thank you very much everyone thank you and until next time bye <laughs> bye, -bye. bye. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you want to join one of these interviews in the future and ask your questions, follow us on Instagram. We are at Future London Academy. We are doing live chats weekly with some of the most inspiring people in the industry, so prepare your questions and see you there. If you want to learn from these people about how they work with clients and approach projects in more depth, join one of our courses at Future London Academy, taught by the best of the best in the world of design and innovation. And if you're ever in London, come in for a coffee. We love meeting new people. Thanks again, and until next time.